0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Thanks for reading God's way with us. Hey, well, good morning guys. Welcome to church. For those who don't know me, my name is Shane. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at LCC North Lakes. Um, and I also have the privilege of preaching this morning as we continue the series that we've been in in the book of Malachi. And now we've been in this book for, for roughly seven weeks now as we're looking at how God is is really fundamentally calling Israel back to have a vibrant faith in him, to turn away from their disobedience and sin and come experience true life as God has called them to live. And so we've looked at a bunch of things over the last seven weeks, how we are to relate to God in worship, how we are to, to handle our finances, our relationships, our marriages. And this morning, as you you've heard Ron read, with we're kind of looking at this question where uh, through Malachi, God confronts Israel because they're saying oh, it's vain to serve God. Like what, what profit is it for us to follow God's way and to continue to, to really mourn over our sin? And so as a good LCC pastor, I've given my hand to alliteration this morning. Um, we've got three Ps. I don't normally do this because alliteration is so close to being illiterate, but we're going we're gonna to try this morning. So... We're going to look at the point, the person, and the promise. The point, what is the point, who is this person, and then what is the promise. But before we do that, I'd love if you would just pray with me. Lord, thank you that you have given us your word, that through it we may know you, we may know who you are, and as we seek to know who you are, that you would speak to us through it that is alive and active. And so I pray this morning that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say to us, you would open our hearts and our minds to believe and to understand your words, that we might leave here this morning as people changed because of your goodness and grace towards us, that we might look more like Jesus when we leave than we did when we came in. And so, God, would you, would you open our hearts to that this morning? And we pray this in your mighty and your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. You probably You probably don't know, you probably haven't realized, or maybe you have, but I've actually been trying to work out a bit lately, right? I've been trying to do some exercise. I want to, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight. Uh, primarily because we're going to America at the end of the year to, for my little son, Atlas, to meet some of his side of the parents because my wife is half American, half Australian. And so he's going to meet his grandparents and his auntie and uncles and those kind of things. And I know, like, I just know that when I go to America, I'm probably not going to eat the healthiest, right? Like, mainly because I just don't have the healthiest food there. And so the aim was that I would work hard right now, I'd be disciplined, I'd do all I can to try and lose weight, and I'll eat healthy, I'll count my calories, and what I do every morning is I step on the scales just to see how I'm going. And some mornings I've lost a bit of weight, which is great, it's exciting, but most mornings I get on that scale and I'm actually going up, which is really disheartening and really frustrating because I'm putting all this effort in, I'm doing all these things, I'm trying to be disciplined, I'm saying no to food that I really want to say yes to. And in the end, I'm just not getting the results. And so sometimes I'm sitting there going, well, what's the point in all this? Like, why am I putting all this effort in? Why am I being disciplined when I'm not getting the results that I think I deserve? And as we look at this passage this morning, it seems to be the same kind of question that Israel is asking. Like, what's the point? And and not about losing weight, but about serving God. Much more important, about following God, about being obedient to God in His ways, and so we're going to read this morning, we look again at verse 13, it says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? Like, continually in the book of Malachi, like, Israel has the audacity to continually question and go back, well, You said I've been hard against you, well, how? Tell me how. And then God says this, You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or is in walking and mourning before the Lord of hosts? Israel is charged, speaking hard against God, going, what's the point in serving you? Like, it seems to be all in vain that we serve you, that we try and live these lives. In fact, it goes on to say, what good is it even? Like, what good is it? What are we getting from living these lives that that are sacrificial and serving you day in, day out? Like, what is the point? And it goes on to say, really, why they are asking this. It says, because the arrogant are blessed. Evil doers not only prosper but they put God to the test and they escape. So pretty much Israel is saying, I'm coming, I'm living this life of sacrifice, of obedience, of mourning, which means that they're fighting back temptation, they're fighting sin. And they're saying, but what good is it? Because the arrogance seem blessed. Like those who do wicked seem to be prospering while we're over here living these lives sold out for the Lord and what good is it for us? Like what are we getting in return? Like it seems like there is no reward for the righteous while the wicked prosper." And this isn't kind of the first time that we have seen this emotion arise in Scripture. In fact, there is a a man named Asaph. He was a prophet, and he wrote a few Psalms. And one of the Psalms we we, we see is Psalm 73. It's going to come up on the screen. He has this similar experience where he sees that the wicked are prospering, the arrogant seem to be putting God to the test and just getting away with it. Like they're just living however they want to live. It's like they're putting the middle finger up to God in a way, and God isn't doing anything. And so Israel and Asaph in this is going, like, what's the point? And so we started in verse 3, he said, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as are others. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his peoples turn back to them and find no fault in them. And then they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Isn't kind of like they're saying God doesn't even see us? Like we get to live however we want. Like God doesn't even know. Like is there? Does He even exist? It's kind of the attitude here. And He says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. It just seems like it's just all in vain that I'm seeking to live a righteous and holy life while the arrogant seem to be blessed, while the wicked seem to prosper, put God to the test and just get away with it. Like God's not doing anything. And I wonder if we, we feel a bit of that this morning. Because these are, these are big accusations, right? These are big accusations to all God. They're, they're not only just questioning, is it pointless, is it in vain to serve God? They're questioning God's character. They're questioning God's rule and reign over mankind. And that's what Asaph's asking as well, like, is there even a God in heaven? Like, is, is he doing anything? Because they're, they're looking at the seeming prosperity of the wicked and going, look at them, they're, just, they're living vibrant lives. While we're over here, God, where is our blessing? Which is crazy, because if I was God, I want to be like, do you not remember what I've done for you? Do, do you not see the blessing you continue to have right now? Because the start of Malachi, the start of this book, where God is about to accuse them of all their disobedience and sin, he begins with, I love you. Like, I have loved you, I love you, and I'll continue to love you. So even that, in that, God is lavishing love upon them when they do not deserve it. But again, it's like, do you remember Egypt? Like, do you remember the wilderness? Do you remember the land of milk and honey? Do you remember Babylon? Can you see where you are right now? Because in every single one of those situations... God blessed Israel and judged their enemies. God blessed Israel and judged their enemies in every single one of them. And and, and they're right. It wasn't because of their faithfulness and obedience. It was because of God's. And yet they have the audacity to go, God, what's the point? Like, where is our blessing? We're doing these things for you. And yet the wicked seem to be prospering. They had so forgotten the blessing of God in their life. And that's a reminder for us sometimes when we feel that way, has our perspective so gone off of what the blessed life actually is that we no longer see God's blessing, those moments and areas in our lives where He has lavish blessing on us? Do our eyes only go towards those areas where it seems that He has not? And also the, the seeming prosperity of the wicked? Like maybe the truth is actually that, that God pours rain out on those who are good and evil, that God's sun shines upon those who do wicked and are righteous. And so it's not so much that the, the wicked are prospering and the righteous are not. It's, it's maybe that our eyes, our perspective are actually on the areas where we want and think we deserve blessing and we don't have it. And so we need to ask ourselves, like, do we feel this way sometimes towards Because I think we do. And again, over and over and over again, God is trying to show Israel through Malachi that it isn't just about the actions of your hands, it's about the position of your heart. It's not just about what you're doing with your hands, it's about the position of your heart because they're saying they're doing all these things for the Lord. They're saying that they're mourning over us and they might be throwing sackcloths on them and ripping their garments and, and praying and fasting, but their heart is definitely not in it. Because we looked in chapter 1, they were saying, oh, it's wearisome to worship the Lord. It's wearisome to serve the Lord. And now they're saying, oh, it's pointless altogether. And God's saying it isn't just about the actions of your hands. It's about the position of your heart. And their heart just did not see. They weren't serving and loving and following and being obedient to God because He loves them. They were doing it because they expected a reward for it. And when they did not get that reward, they grumbled. They spoke hard against the, the Lord. Because as we look at this chapter, we're going to see two different people. We're going to see those who speak hard and grumble because of what they don't have. And we're going to see those who fear the Lord and esteem His name because He alone is worthy. And so as we look at this, we ask the question, is this us? Because I think we do feel this. And I think we we sometimes feel this in different ways. And maybe we would never say it like that. But subconsciously or inexplicitly, we just... We feel like, hey, we're doing all these things. We're following all these, I'm following all these things, all these rules as a Christian. I'm trying to live a holy life. I'm trying to be obedient. to God. I'm trying to fight back temptation. And yet I just don't seem to be getting the the result that I desired. It seems like all I'm getting as a Christian is just hardship and trial and suffering and pain. Is that you this morning? Do, Do you feel that? Maybe you ask this question, like, what, what good is it in following the Lord? What, what profit is it in serving and loving Jesus from the perspective of work? Maybe you're seeking to be an, an employee of character and integrity, and you're going to work, and you're, you're trying to get a promotion, but you constantly get overlooked by Baza, who just cheats and steals all the time and lies, and I apologize if your name's Baza right now, I just pulled that name out of nowhere. But maybe that's you this morning, like... You go into your work and you're trying to live as a godly employee and yet someone who just cheats and steals and lies continually gets promoted and you're going, well, what is the point in me trying to live this way? Maybe you're asking this question in terms of relationships. Maybe you're a single male or a single female and you're trying to enter a relationship. But you're trying to do it God's way, the way that He has called us to, to walk and enter relationships. And it's hard and you're struggling to find someone. And you look out there in the world of those who disregard God's way and they just seem to be easily finding relationships, going in and out, and you're going, what's the point? Like, what good is it for me to keep trying to do this way because I'm not getting what I'm trying to get? Or maybe you are married this morning and you're trying to have a godly marriage. You're trying to be a godly spouse, husband or wife. You're doing your best to, to come to church on Sunday mornings, but every time you get in the car, you seem to just fight. There just seems to be conflict continually in your marriage. And you're like, what is the point in trying to be a godly Christian husband or wife? Because it seems as I look at my neighbors, they they have fun, enjoyable, happy marriages. And there's so many ways that we could ask the question like, what good is it in serving the Lord? And over and over again. And and firstly, I I want to come back like, it's seeming prosperity. It's not saying these people are prospering. And so, again, it's about our perspective how are we looking at these situations? Because over and over again, are we asking what is the point because we are not getting the result that we expect? So normally when we ask what's the point, we're asking it because we're putting in action and we're being disciplined and we're not getting the result. Like most of the time we ask what's the point, what good is it in terms of RRI, like our return and investment? And this is a terrible way to look at faith and service to God. Like if we see Christianity, if we see serving the Lord through the eyes of ROI, then we miss the gospel completely. Because Christianity has never been about doing all these things so we can receive. It's never been about serving God just so you can get from God what you think you deserve. In fact, Christianity, the gospel, is the complete opposite. It's we did a bunch of things and then we got what we didn't deserve. Like we deserved death. We deserve distance from God and yet what we got in return was grace and love and God moving towards us. And so as we ask this question, what's the point? We cannot ask it in terms of return on our investment because when we do that, we miss the gospel completely. Like Kyle said last week, what God is trying to do here through Malachi to Israel is invite them back to vibrant faith. Invite them back. Like like we said, worship, serving God has always been an invitation to life. It has always been an invitation to the presence of God. And so what is the blessed life? What does it look like? What good is it in serving God and following His way and fighting back temptation and sacrificing Him and losing our life and laying it down so we might find it in Him? Because if we are just serving God, if we are just following Him, for these materialistic, worldly possessions, fleshly desires, earthly relationships, then we're going to live frustrated lives. We're going to live frustrated lives, not because we're expecting too much, because we're expecting far too little. Like, And this is why I hate the prosperity gospel. Not because health, wealth and happiness are this grand idea that, that we could only wish we could get. It's because compared to what the gospel actually promises, it's trash. Like, It's absolutely trash. That's what Paul says. I count it all as garbage for the sake of knowing Christ. He says, I I count it all as lost, so that I might, what, gain Christ. The point of serving and following and obeying Jesus has always been that we get God. We get the person of Jesus. That is the reward of the righteous. It's never been this stuff. That's not the gospel at all. As we serve, as we follow, Lord, what we get is communion with the creator of the universe. The reward of the righteous, righteous has always been union and communion with God. Walking day in, day out with our King and our Lord. Like, like that's what we get as Christians. That's that's the good, that's the point of serving Jesus. It's always been communion with Christ. Like, what good is it what profit and keeping your charge and walking as in mourning before the Lord? Communion with Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus, union with Jesus. Having a friend in Christ, that's the unfathomable reward of the gospel, that we get Jesus. And for those who don't know me, uh, don't know also pastoring, I I run a business on the side where I take photos of uh, houses that go on the market, like for real estate and stuff. And I, I love this job as well because... Real estate agents are a special breed of humans, right? Like that's, a, that's a big generalization. Again, if you're a real estate agent, you already know this truth. But, <laughs> but I, I, have, I have many friends who are real estate agents. Some, like the kid that you see on all the buses in North Lakes, he's one of my clients. He's, he's a good friend. He's great. Um, and then I have another real estate agent who I, I won't say his name or where he sells, but I've known him since before he got into real estate, back when I was in school, actually. And so we have this great relationship and I talk to him all the time about Christianity, about faith, about church and he always cracks jokes and the other day we were talking about church, we are talking about my job here as a pastor and he says this to me, he said wouldn't you just be so upset Shane if I got to my deathbed and then, this is his voice, I got to my deathbed and I just said Lord forgive me and then I get to go to heaven, like wouldn't you just be so upset and I was like, I was like so confused. I was like, why would I be upset? And then he says this to me, he goes, because I'll get to live however I want, do whatever I want to do, and right at the end I'll ask God to forgive me and he'll save me and I'll be in heaven, and you would have followed the Lord your whole life and we'll end up in the same place. And in that moment I realized he had no idea what Christianity was. That I had actually failed him. In all of our conversations about faith in God, somehow I'd failed to get across the actual reward of Christianity, what Christianity actually was. And so what he thought and what some of us in here might think and what non-Christians normally think is that if we follow all the rules, what Christianity is, is that you get a ticket to paradise and that's not the gospel, that's not Christianity. The gospel has always been this story about God and his love and grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus making a way for wretched sinners like you and me to enter the presence of a holy God. Like that's the gospel. Not about a ticket to paradise. That's the gospel. That wretched sinners like you and me can come into the presence of God. It says Christ died once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? So that he might bring us to God. Like, we get God. That is the reward of the righteous, that those who place their trust in Jesus, we get Jesus. We get communion and fellowship with God, and He is enough. Like, He is enough. He is more than enough for every need and desire that we will ever have. That's what Christianity is. And so, yeah, I will get to follow the Lord all of my life and enjoy Him and all that comes of being found in Christ. Jesus is our reward, church. We need to believe this with our hearts, that Jesus is the reward of the righteous, and He is enough. Like He is more than enough to satisfy any desire and need that we will ever have now and forevermore. And so our great reward as Christians is Jesus. But for those who are found in Him, the Bible says we also get to share in the richness of his inheritance. And so being found in Jesus means, yeah, we get Jesus, but we also get eternal satisfaction those who follow and love him. In him we get joy unending. In him we get peace that surpasses understanding, forgiveness of sins, a clean conscience, the source of truth, unconditional life. In him we find purpose and identity, strength and healing and giftings, comfort in our sorrow. In him we have friendship in our loneliness, grace upon grace, new mercies every morning, a family of adoption. In him we have freedom by his spirit and in him we have eternal life and in him we have abundant life. But the reward has always been him. Because without Him, we get none of that. But with Him, we get it all. And so we can face situations differently with Jesus. So what good is it for us to serve the Lord, to obey the Lord, fellowship with Christ, and in Him, we have satisfaction forever. And so when we go to work, we no longer work for a promotion. We work because God and His sovereignty has placed us there that we might live out the mission of God And we might bring forth his kingdom into that place that he might be glorified and not us. And in our marriages, when we know that our satisfaction and approval is met in Jesus, we no longer seek to find it in our spouse. Because our love tank is full in God. And so despite how they treat us, we can continue to love and serve our husband and wife. If we know that Jesus is enough and we get him, then we'll face every situation differently. He is enough. And I love this because, unlike Israel, Asaph in Psalm 73 comes to this incredible realization of what the prosperity of the gospel actually is. And he says this. He says, as he's, as he's thinking about how is it possible that serving God is not getting me the reward that I want, and it seems like the wicked are prospering, he says this. But then I thought, how to understand it? It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, like, until I walked into the presence of God, and was just like, oh yeah, I get God. And it says, then I discerned therein. It goes on to say, I am continually with you, you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What an incredible confession. As he's questioning, like, what good is it he walks into the sanctuary of God where the presence of God is and goes, that's right, I have God. Like what Israel seemed to have forgotten, they're looking at all these things they can get from God and they had forgotten that they're actually living with God. And Asaph here, like, like, whom have I in heaven but you? Like what a confession that is. What a statement that is. Like, how would we feel? If Jesus wasn't in heaven, do we still want heaven? If Jesus would not be in heaven, do we still want heaven? Because the truth is, for those who hate Jesus, they would have hated heaven. Like, that, they would hate heaven. And for us as Christians, who know that there is a promise that one day we will receive glory with Christ, this is the closest that we will ever come to hell. And for those who are wicked and push against the ways of God and choose to live their own lives, this is the closest that they'll ever get to heaven. And so can we say that? Like honestly in our hearts, can we say like, whom have I in heaven but you? And then there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. But can we say that as we look around this world, can we go, yeah, now that's all garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. There is nothing in this world that I desire more than Jesus. Like, is that true for us this morning? Because my prayer is it would be that we would look around this world and go, yeah, all I desire is Christ. Because in Him, we receive the fullness of His inheritance and all that is. And so the reward of the righteous, the point has always been the person of Jesus. Jesus. And I think this, this, is, this plays out in Acts 5, right, that the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin and they're like, hey, you need to stop preaching Jesus You're causing a ruckus. And the apostles go, hey, like, you do what you need to do, but for us we cannot stop proclaiming what we have seen and heard. And so they beat them. They like, beat the apostles. They flogged the apostles and sent them out. And what did they do as they left? They rejoiced. They're like, how good was that? We got to share in Christ's suffering. Because they knew that one day they would share in His glory, and then they continued to preach the gospel. Why? Because Christ was enough for them. Because they knew they had Jesus, so there was nothing or no one on earth could do to them. They've got a beautiful understanding of this truth that Jesus is enough, and for those who place their trust in Him, who serve Him, who live lives solely like out for Him, they get Jesus. We get Jesus. And so that's the point, that's the purpose. What is the promise that we see in this passage? What's the promise we see? The reward is Jesus. And so let's read in verse 16 as we look at this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before them of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The promise is that those who fear and esteem the Lord, that those who see God for who he is and have reverence and awe, who come before him and live lives sold out to him, the promise is God will remember you. The promise is God will remember you. It says that he, he he writes in a book of remembrance Like, I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't need to write something down to remember it. And so what's the point in the book of remembrance? It's for us. And so when we're in those moments of questioning and asking, what is this point? And asking, well, what good is it? Like, am am I going to be with Jesus in heaven? Have I done enough? God can go, hey, I've written it down. Like, the promise is that you will be with me. I will remember you. Like, what a great promise for souls that wander, for souls that drift. And, and, and again, like whose book is it? It's not ours. It's God's. And so you can't rub your name out. There's nothing you can do to take your name out of that book. It's God's book. And so the promise is, we get Jesus, and Jesus gets us. Like, we will be found in God, and God will be with us. That is the story of the Bible, God with us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, is Jesus come from his throne, entered into our pain and our suffering and our situation, lived a life that we could not live, went to a cross, joyously died, hung upon that cross so that our sins might be forgiven. And then he rose three days later, seated at the right hand of God in glory as ruler of the world, Like that's Jesus, that's who we get when we place our trust in him. And his promise is that he will remember us for those who fear the Lord. And again, this isn't a fear as in like dread or terror. It's in seeing God rightly in who he is in all his goodness and grandeur and glory and majesty. And then having reverence and respect for who he is and going, you alone are worthy to be served. So for those who fear his name and esteem his name, there is a promise that He will remember us, that we will be His. And so, as the band come up, God promises that we will share in the inheritance of Christ. Like, that's a promise for us. And so, one day, yes, we will be with Him in glory. But it also means that we will share in His suffering here on earth. Because the promise of the gospel has never been like follow Jesus, place your trust in Jesus, and it will all go well for you. That's not the gospel. But it's that Jesus is enough no matter what situation you face. And so now as we face tough times, as we face trials, as we face hardship and persecution and suffering, we know that Christ is with us. That he gives us peace in those moments. That he gives us joy in the face of hardship. And so yes, one day we'll be united with him forever. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. Here and now we walk through this world Facing these moments of hardship and trial, knowing that God is with us and He will never leave us, and that in Him we have satisfaction and endurance and patience forevermore. Like I love that passage from Hebrews that Mark read out before. Like we're going to experience some of that hardship, but if we continue, on, we will get the reward promised to us. And that's what this passage is about. That is the promise. Like in Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there is pleasures forevermore. But the promise is also that one day there will be a time where God will come back again and judge the wicked. And so when Israel say, hey, they seem to be getting away with it, God says, there will be a time when I'll return and everybody will be judged rightly. His mercies his justice will be poured out upon the world. And we'll know between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who fear the Lord and serve Him and place their faith and trust in Him and those who have not. And in that day, there'll be no more death, no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain, no more agony, no more evil, no more wicked, no more darkness. Because God will judge it all rightly. And then we'll rise with Him In eternity, and then truly experience face to face His glory forevermore. Eternal satisfaction in Jesus. That's the promise of God. And so, my desire is that as a church, we will live serving God, fighting back sin and temptation that comes, seeking to sacrifice and obey Him all the days of our lives. Why? Because He is worthy. Because He is worthy but also He is enough for us. In Him is satisfaction and approval forevermore. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to invite you to come and place your trust in Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Then He might forgive you of your sins and you might truly experience abundant life now and forever. Not just a ticket to paradise, but the Creator of the universe in fellowship with you right now. And so would you turn to him? Would you talk to him? Would you trust in him this morning? And then let's continue to be a church that praises God and worship God and serves God and sacrifices and obeys God because he is the king of the universe and he is also our father. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you are enough for us that your promise to us is those who place our trust in you, those who live lives of service to you, of sacrifice, of being obedient, of fighting back sin and temptation and walking in righteous and holiness. The promise and the reward of the gospel is union and communion with you that will be found in you and that in you is eternal satisfaction. And the promise is also that we get to share in the richness of inheritance that comes in those being found in Christ. And so there is peace in those moments where we have no peace. There is joy in those moments where we should not be joyous. There is comfort in our sorrow. There is a mercy every morning for those moments when we fail to live up to your standard. There is forgiveness of our sins. And God, would you remind our hearts of that this morning? when we're asking this question in moments and situations throughout our day, what's the point? Why am I living like this? I'm not getting what I deserve. Would we realize, yeah, that is true. We got what we didn't deserve. And that is you. That is you because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so, God, we thank you for that. We worship you for that. You alone are worthy of our praise and our glory. And so as we sing, For the rest of this service, would you receive our praise? Would you receive our worship unto you as the true King of glory? to your precious and your wonderful and your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life.